0: Off top, Oprah's real name is actually Orpa, but got mispronounced so many times that she was like, yeah, we'll stick with this Oprah thing. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to Dominique Foxworth Show. Getting ready for Super Bowl week before we do that. We got a little football in today's mm-hmm. show, but we want to get into some basketball topics. Where do you want to start, Charles? Uh, I want to air an off-air
1: conversation, which oh, is, who is who is tougher to play against, LaDainian Tomlinson or Adrian Peterson. We were uh, bo- bo- to, the, to the listeners, before this, we were talking about the Fiesta Bowl with Boise State and Oklahoma, and I was saying one of the weird things I thought about that game was not the Ian Johnson proposal. It was like, what a weird cap to Adrian Peterson's college career, which started out with him finishing second in the Heisman Trophy as a freshman.
0: He was incredible football player i'd say adrian peterson over everybody ladanian thomason was he didn't have the power that adrian peterson had and i don't remember him having the the like pull away speed that adrian peterson had but yeah adrian i don't can't think of any running backs and i've told the story before about how ladanian made me miss in the phone booth so like i respect him i mean this is no slight to lt but I remember, and like, I'm not a big guy, but I tackled plenty of people and it was never a problem. Like it didn't yeah. hurt that bad. Adrian Peterson's one of the few players where I tackled him. Him and I think Steven Jackson, mm. the running back, right? Was it? Yeah. yeah, the big running back for the Rams. Yeah. Him and Adrian Peterson were the two running backs that um I remembered throwing my arms into their legs to like tackle him. And it felt like I put my arm in a lawnmower. And I was like, what the this is not okay so then i had to you go with the the forearm to the legs from here on out because i'm not sticking my extended arm in there and in the same game where adrian peterson's legs chewed up my arm like a lawnmower i was like my thing was being fast the one thing that like rarely i think there was probably twice on the field where i thought this person is faster than me because Bethel Johnson was running down mm. on punt return and I was trying to block him or well, he's running on punt I was punt return I was trying to block him and normally I would let the guys the gunner get away from me a little bit and then refocus my angle and catch him at the ball and block him and at, right in front of the ball carrier it was great worked all the time Steve Suter had a bunch of touchdowns in college because in part because I was great at doing that and Bethel I was like all right now it's time to get him now it's time to get him <laughs> And he just kept getting further and further away from me. And then with the Adrian Peterson thing, like anytime someone had like a long run, I would be able to go catch him before they got to the end zone, especially if they were on the other side of the field. Like I just take a good angle. I have the angle combined with the fact that I'm faster than them, Go get him. Adrian Peterson got out across the far side of the field. We were in Minnesota. I think I was playing for the Ravens at the time. And I remember, I was like, all right, here's calculate my angle. Occam. Oh, and the angle changed on me. And the next thing I know he was in the end zone. So, yeah. Adrian Peterson.
1: I mean, he's one of those runners, too, where despite being the most talented running back in the NFL, he also sort of looked like Isaiah Pacheco when he runs, like yeah. cartoonishly angry. Yeah, he fumbled
0: a good amount, and I think yeah. it was in part because it was like the ball was a secondary concern. It felt like it was like the most important thing was destroying what was, whatever was in front of him. But, yeah, he was, he was incredible. Yeah, in his second and third seasons,
1: he had 16 total fumbles.
0: Damn. Damn. A yep. lot. It's worth it, though. I feel like the Josh Allen conversation <laughs> with Adrian Peterson. Fine. Yeah. Fumble a couple times. Whatever. There aren't that many running backs in the last thirty years that the offense was built around just handing them the ball. Yeah, that's like a, a an old school type of way to play football, where the running back's the most important player on the offense. We don't do that anymore, and we stopped doing it a while ago. But Adrian was still the player that we did that for, and it was a successful offense. Also, we're like you load the box up. I don't care. Give it to Adrian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does not matter the defense. We're not doing any game plan because you know what the game plan is. They're gonna give it to Adrian. All time maniac backfield. Him and Brett Favre. He um, had the last uh, MVP for running back, Adrian Peterson. Yeah, yeah. And he had, it was two thousand, right, or close it to two thousand yards. Yeah, yeah, two thousand yards. Coming uh, off the ACL, not the year two thousand, but yeah. two thousand yards. Yeah, he can't, he was like the first player to like come back from that ACL crazy fast too. Nine months. Yeah, or eight months. Absurd. Which
1: like. Another casualty of the FedEx field turf. All right, let's talk some NBA. And I specifically want to talk about this story with you Um, because of your experience of it's not you have different perspectives on fans. You have different perspectives on organizations than a lot of people are going to talk about this. But the big story in the NBA right now is Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid's injury. He was having the best season of his career. He was the MVP frontrunner. He's averaging 36 points a game. As Zach Lowe pointed out, the most points per minute in NBA history, even above Wilt's 50-point-per-game season. That came to a screeching halt when he sat out in Denver. Fans and the media got on him for ducking Jokic for the fifth straight year in Denver. Um, He came back against Golden State. Someone fell on his knee. Kaminga. Kaminga fell on his knee. Um, And he was then diagnosed with a displaced part of his meniscus. He has had two meniscus injuries, one to each knee. This is now a third one. It's now clear he's not going to hit the 65-game minimum to be the MVP. He's tumbled down those odds. And do you buy the narrative that the media pressure and the fans and the 65-game rule is to blame for Joel Embiid's injury? So
0: the 65-game rule... When when I saw Joe beat injury, like my immediate reflex was to like be annoyed about the sixty five game rule because it like fell right into my wheelhouse of like protecting the players and not putting this extra burden of pressure on it. But I'm having a hard time of actually sincerely believing that that pressure is enough to for a player who's hurt who understands that winning a championship is the most important to him a player like Joel Embiid, who's had injury issues his entire career and had conditioning issues in the playoffs like i really who just came off of winning an mvp like i find it hard to believe that this injury is a result of that rule and if the rule didn't exist the pressure would still exist like, if the 65 game rule didn't exist, we would still, people would still roast him for not playing in Denver against Jokic. That was the 65 game rule that was getting him judged there. And I think even before the 65 game rule existed, the conversation about if he genuinely cares about the MVP trophy, which I'm not sure that he did he, last year. Yeah, he did last year. Very agree. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure that he did this season. But if he did, you still have that pressure without the 65 game rule. So, like, the rule itself, I'm not going to defend, but I'm also not going to, like, disingenuously use this injury as an opportunity to destroy the rule. I don't think the rule should exist, but Mm. I don't think the rule is the cause of this problem.
1: I kind of think the rule should exist, not even because it's, like, a—it's obviously it's an arbitrary line, but, like, can you imagine if... Lamar had played 12 games this year and they were like, he's the best player Give him the MVP. Like, I kind of think it's, it, it's nice. You've talked, we've talked about this Still. a lot. The, the incentives of playing, mm-hmm. of the regular season mattering. Right. And the NBA MVP award matters a lot. But I think, it, uh, I think it's actually somewhat cool to incentivize players to care about certain parts of the regular season. And, and there are a clear four best players in the NBA. Obviously not all of them can try and win the MVP. But I think it's cool that guys can care about winning it, whether it's the rule or not.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're not going to get a disagreement yeah. out of me. It's cool if they care about it. I'm not going to belabor the point that I know you know that I'm thinking is yeah, that too many games. There's too many games, and yeah. these rules are a, a way to try to fix a problem without actually addressing the issue. So I'm with you. I'd love for there to be more uh, like natural incentive and desire to play in these games. I just don't think the 65 rule. Um, 65 game rule accomplishes that I think it does probably if anyone in this situation Tyrese Halliburton like that sucks for him because he had like was it 41 million dollars yeah. riding on on it and then the decisions which I guess that's not the 65 well yeah it is the 65 game rule because can't be, you can't make an
1: all-nba team if you don't play 65 games
0: and then your super max value goes up higher if you make those teams so like it sucks to have a seemingly arbitrary line like that determined, but it also sucks to have something somewhat arbitrary or not arbitrary, but somewhat, um, uh, or, or completely out of your control, I guess. Determined, so like the idea in general that your salary can be tied to All Star games or All NBA teams or MVP trophies, like that kind of stinks. Also, when your value is clear, yeah. what your value is. So, like, and that's very different. That's yeah, very different. The salary,
1: not, the salary being tied to it, I think is different than the concept of like from this from the fans' okay. perspective. Well, no, t-
0: I mean, it's 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 not different because it's the same thing. It's like things that people want. We're yeah. not going to let them have it unless they. Reach a uh, uh, arbitrary line, yeah, and and that to me feels and
1: so unfair. the in, The intent of this rule was it's essentially you know a load management rule, which right. is not the case with Embiid, nor is it the case with Tyrese Halliburton. And the odds are with Embiid is that he's not going to come close to it now, and probably not with Halliburton, who's he's on. Actually, maybe he will because he's on a severe minutes restriction coming off his hamstring injury. Um, but you know the point of that is that if a guy plays 50 games, he probably isn't the MVP anyway. Like, if we get into Bill Walton territory. If you're that much better than everyone else in the NBA and, and your team is that much better because of you. Um, the second part I wanted to ask about this. Do you think the narrative amongst fans mattered at all to Embiid and convinced him to play? Um,
0: well, I think it matters. I don't think that it would convince him to play.
1: But can you imagine someone in your locker room being like, fans are like calling our, our offense... So now we need to go out and try and score 40 points. Like it feels like motivations are so internal
0: in professional sports locker rooms. Yeah, but the we hear the noise. So yeah, I, I do think that people respond players do respond to to the noise around them. Because the narratives, as much as we want to pretend like they don't matter and we block the narratives do matter. Mm-hmm. Those become the way that we talk about the players and the way that we see the players and where they were drafted, how how um media people talk about them, how their fans talk about them, how they behave in these big time situations, like that that becomes what the story is around these players and they care about that because that's essentially all you have at the end of it is like whatever that legacy is to the degree that it matters to you. That's all you have. So yeah, I do think that they care on a micro level, like this 65 game thing, I think to Embiid, it kind of matter. It might matter more to him than most because of how his career has panned out and that he missed his whole first season and he's been in and out and he's had a bunch of kind of nagging injuries. I do think it matters some, but again, I don't necessarily think this injury was a result of it. Any more so than the the idea that the more games you play, the higher chance yeah. you are getting injured because you're just out there more often. So like I guess it contributed, but I don't I feel like it's a contact this is yeah. not Durant's Achilles. This is a contact injury. Right, that's my yeah. point. And I mean even Durant's Achilles, I would say that if you run up and down the floor uh 10 times, Whatever the chance is to blow your Achilles is a certain number. You do it a hundred times, then, of course, it goes up. Also, Durant, if we're being
1: honest, was just – had three years of everyone calling him a right, and Uh, essentially. And they knew he was leaving the offseason. People like, he doesn't want to play for this Warriors team again. And he went out there when he shouldn't have and, you know, relitigating all of it. It just feels drastically different than the Embiid situation where he's gotten – like we've talked about this, we talked about this with Rasilla when he was on that. People, despite the fact that Embiid hasn't made it as far in the playoffs, despite the fact that he's had these injuries and he's had things, like people still like Embiid. It's okay. not the same. It does. It's not the same amount like of. It's players. Harden,
0: or it's yeah. not the same that we talk about Harden or Durant. But I'm making a simple point that, which I guess it doesn't really matter necessarily, but like, yeah, the chances of injury go up the more you play. Yeah, the more time you put yourself out there, you're you're at risk.
1: Definitely, especially in, you know when you're seven to 300 pounds <laughs> yeah. and they had to literally
0: teach you how to fall because it was safer than landing. Yeah, I mean, this all goes back to, and this is a sports business conversation, which is why I think it's probably interesting for us to have this conversation is like, all this stuff is tied to CBA negotiations in a way that mm-hmm. all the way, I mean, even the, the, uh, the contracts, the super max and all that stuff is yes. tied to that, which is like, they're trying to find ways to solve problems. But the fact of the matter is, you can't solve a problem if you don't solve the problem, and the problem just moves. Mm, very wise. There-
1: can't solve the problem unless you solve the problem.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think it makes sense, it makes sense to me. I think that maybe people listening understand. I appreciate you pointing out that it was it sounds stupid and like uh like a fortune cookie. But the fact of the matter is, rather than addressing the issues that they've had with like salaries. Mm-hmm. Rather than actually, like, being able to negotiate or, frankly, paying the players what they are worth, they institute a max deal. And then players like, well, I need higher than max. All right, we institute super max. We institute all these other things. How do we determine that? By putting it on all-star games and all-pro. Like, it all is just a convoluted way for the owners to to protect themselves against spending more money than they want to spend. And, like, it all goes back to that. And it's it's interesting because those
1: also those were framed in ways of like protecting the integrity of project pro, of the product because it made it easier for, or advantageous for players to take teams with the franchises that drafted them because they could offer the most money and then it led to all the trades which pissed, pissed off fans even more. I do understand, but has that happened?
0: That's a yeah. thing. No, no, it's it's it made it worse. It yeah, actually made so it that's worse. that's the they point signed, that i am tried to make is like It's disgusting. It's like they they keep trying to address these issues without actually like they try to they try to do these little fixes and tweaks like they do these yeah, don't. Well,
1: this is actually I think like I am you know this. I've I've been a massive NBA fan. I've had periods where i like really nerdily watching League Pass and digesting the stats from cleaning the glass way more than I should, but there are Breaking points when the regular season doesn't seem to matter as much, and star players demand trades in the first year of supermax contracts. It actually makes it worse for fans. So that's your point. I do have one last question. The
0: salary cap is what it comes down to. <laughs> sure, like, yes, yeah. that's, that's that's what it all boils down to. Because then you could pay players what they were worth based on their value, and there would be no incentive for players to do this type of dumb. <laughs> you could also tie the amount that you pay them to the number of games that they play. Like you could do those things. Yeah, but we don't do that. I'm just like. So this is the last thing to bring it back to Embiid and put a button on this. I would write a piece if I still wrote Well, I was going to ask piece, you, if you were blaming still— Blaming the salary cap for Joel Embiid's knee injury. I love w- it.
1: What would your reaction be if you were still running the NBA PA
0: and this happened? Well, I never ran it. I was uh, chief operating officer, but my reaction is always— C- if you're a C-suite employee. Yeah, I know, employee. I, just, I didn't want to be disrespectful to to um, Chris Paul or Michelle mm-hmm. Roberts. Um It's a good question. I mean, I think, first of all, you consult with the player about what they're comfortable with you doing. But I think the most important thing that I try to always remind myself is like you're not, even though I said you consult with the player because it's their story, is you're not ever operating on behalf of an individual player. And when they're like, Issues with discipline, you have to remind yourself of that because sometimes you think the player deserves some discipline for what they've done. But you have to understand that you're defending the rights of players as a whole and not just this individual player. This situation is not nearly as serious as anything like that. So I think my con- I would definitely use this as an opportunity to try to remove something that I think is silly and like Mm -hmm. this would definitely be the the trojan horse i use to try to take down the idea of this 65 game minimum and it's also like by and large while the things that unions and sports leagues disagree with by and large those are the things that we talk about but most of the things we agree upon and i think this falls in the category is like i actually don't think this 65 game rule is good in the long run for anybody hmm. my belief in like different players most players are different but if you live in a world where you think you need to incentivize your guys to play they do i don't think you do they do i don't think you do. if you're watching the nba this season you went that you got to incentivize these guys to play and care about the regular season this no i see care about the regular season and play are two different things. And this is where the, we disconnect is. yeah, And it's all going to come back to my original point. Is like, yeah, the games don't matter. So they're operating rationally because they, the NBA has created a situation where so many of the games don't matter. But I think that if it's, isn't your, I think the players want to be at their best in the most important times. These guys aren't not playing because they don't like basketball or they don't want to play basketball. Like, I think these guys do want to play. I think they love it. They also recognize that the NBA has filled this season with a lot of fluff. And by and large, they'll deal with some ridicule right now. But what really matters is if they can win championships. Things. Yeah, and that's where we are. And so, like, that's where we want to be. If that's where we want to be as a league, then let's let's change the rules to represent that. Yeah. That's all. God, it's just, it's been such
1: a, the NBA regular season has genuinely been a degrading product since it seems like after that 2016 year and it's it's a genuine yeah. bummer as as a fan of it you Agreed. want those games to be better. Ba- and some of the primetime games are still excellent of course we know that yeah. and then when those things happen and guys lock
0: in it's still awesome but it's it's weird too because I think that a lot of people say and I would agree that this is the most talented the NBA has ever been Like, there's, Mm. they're like real legitimate. And I think also because some of the great stars have been able to stay longer and be productive longer, there's like a real, we'll get to that. Yeah. There's a real (laughs) glut of great talent all around the league, just about every team. Unfortunately, not the team that is in our local market. They are not uh, filled with talent. I I went to that game when they, against the Heat, and I went with my friend DeQuel, and he made a good point towards the end of that game is it's like middle of the fourth or something. And, jimmy butler he was like damn jimmy had like a, a quiet 25 and it's like impressive and we looked up and jordan Poole had nine but it was a loud nine mm. it was just misses from all over the place and it made me sad for the future of washington basketball Um, well, he'll get to hide in alexandria um, yeah, see you guys Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful Slash DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P dot com slash DF. legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So,
1: the next story I want to talk about, it's our it's our passive aggressive petty king. Oh, James. King James. There he is. LeBron. Um we're recording this on Sunday night after a weekend of reckless speculation about LeBron James and his future. That was started by LeBron James. Okay, not totally started by LeBron James. There was a reporter in Los Angeles who dropped the tweet that Rob Polinka and the Lakers wanted to trade LeBron. Then you had Rich Paul essentially speaking as though he was running the Lakers saying that LeBron will not be traded and that he does not want to be traded. But the way he phrased it, we, he will he will not be traded was interesting because LeBron doesn't have a no trade clause. He doesn't actually get to support that. Then the Lakers... Went to Madison Square Garden, and LeBron said, I've always thought about being a Nick at some point in his career. Um, This was following the Lakers team that sort of galvanized and beat the Celtics and gave them their first home loss of the season without LeBron and Anthony Davis. And what's interesting, I want to build a case for you. Okay, let's hear it. I think that the Lakers should trade LeBron James. They are 26-25. and LeBron James, I've been called LeBron James simp. I... (laughs) I am biased on this. I love LeBron James. He has meant a lot to my basketball fandom and people of my age group. We've grown up watching this career unfold. At this point, he is becoming really annoying with his passive-aggressive stuff. (laughs) The tweets of the hourglass, making about himself with the Knicks stuff. Um, This team is 26 and 25, despite the fact that LeBron has been incredibly healthy. He forced them to trade for Anthony Davis and gave up all of their resources, all of their picks, mortgaged their future to be for right now for them to be twenty six and twenty-five. They built a roster that over the offseason we we're like, good moves. Lakers made good moves. They still aren't that good because LeBron is at a different point of his career. The numbers suggest he is still one of the best players in the NBA. But when you watch it, and I know if he's playing against Dylan Brooks in the playoffs, he can lock in and beat yeah. Dylan Brooks. He can go against a Warriors team that has no wing defenders, no interior presence beyond Calvon Looney, and win those games. We saw it in the Denver series that he's not the most dominant player in the NBA anymore. So what are you doing if you have your entire cap tied to LeBron James? What are you doing if your future is to be a 500 basketball team with LeBron and he's going to leave anyway after he's drained you of all your resources, after you have no picks until 2029? Shouldn't you, in theory, if you know you're not going to win now, recoup some of that and let him go play for the Knicks let him be Jalen Brunson's Robin
0: all right so LeBron James is as big as any franchise in uh the NBA including the Lakers and because of that I think you accurately pointed out that it has to be let LeBron like it's it's not force LeBron out I mean I know you could not force him yeah I know you could, he doesn't have a no trade clause, so I know you could, but that's just not how things work with LeBron James. So if that's something that he wants, I would for it'd probably be better for the Lakers than it would be for the Knicks, honestly. Uh Julius Randolph, Evan Fournier, a bunch all the picks you got. Yeah, I think it's more about yeah, the the picks and building for a future around austin reeves i guess i don't know around anthony davis still i don't know how long they expect anthony davis and you ship to be. him
1: out and get eight more picks also
0: what is the um so if you talk about hierarchy you said b so you think he's the he becomes do you think he's good enough to be lebron we're speaking about to be a number two on a championship team at this point yes Okay, so you think that the Knicks, because the Knicks are on the verge right now, you think the Knicks become a championship contender with LeBron James? I think contender,
1: absolutely. Guarantee, absolutely not.
0: Yeah, I think that that's actually more interesting than what the Lakers should do. Is like, should the Knicks want this? Because I mean, Lakers build for the future. I don't know. I tend to believe that basketball is is unique in that when you get talented, you get talent like LeBron James, even at the end of his career, like moving on from it. There's no, there's no it's a lot like dealing with quarterbacks in football is like, there's no guarantee that you're going to get the next one. And, and
1: the reason, part of the reason the Lakers keep getting the next one is because of how they treat stars. Like right. this has been going on since the Kobe era,
0: which is also why you have to be on the same page with LeBron in order to make this happen. So I am uncomfortable because the NBA draft is not uh, as it's not going to provide top level stars every year. Like these Players, so no matter how many picks you get, if you don't get lucky and get them in the right spot, and, and you don't, don't
1: have your own picks, yeah,
0: you don't have your own picks, and you don't have you don't win the lottery. Like it's really hard to be able to get those players back. Which I guess you can always rely on free agency if you're the Lakers and you have this reputation and you're in LA. So maybe that's the way going forward. You use those picks to trade to find other pieces to build around whoever the next star is. But I do think the Knicks conversation of them being competitive. I think the roster actually. Um, is suited for LeBron at this point. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's the best? Do you think LeBron is better off in trying to make a run in the West with this group, but, or do you think he's better off trying to make a run in the East with that group, assuming that they don't lose anybody except for Julius Randall?
1: Yeah. I mean, things broke really well for the Lakers last year and they went from being on the verge of not even making the plan. Um, like they were out of the plan. They were 13th right. or 14th in the West for long portions of the season to making the conference finals and playing the most competitive sweep we've ever seen against the I Nuggets. I remember that. That was um, embarrassing. And no, I mean he was awesome in this in yeah, the postseason. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. Uh, and the team was was really good. Um, you know, Jokic and Nuggets were just on another level. I think the West is significantly better this year. And so in the East, let's look at it. You're going to have to go through Giannis and the Bucks.
0: Yeah, which is not as scary as I think it's been at its peak. You're going to go have th- to transition into a new coach right now. You're going to have to go through the Celtics, a coach that loses a lot of big series anyway.
1: You have to go to the Celtics. And that's the big one. Um, you know, that team is really good. And I think this is when you think of if. And I, I love that you glossed over and accepted the fact that I called LeBron a number two, two option on a championship team beyond, beyond Jalen Bronson. I thought that was going to spice a Spicer reaction, but it's just true at this point. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I didn't want to fight. I mean, it's yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's that would be interesting in the late game situations. Oh, where, yeah. where would they want the ball to be? Uh, Either of them. Yeah, I guess. But someone's going to have to have it. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Um, I think that is still the better option.
1: I don't see them getting through a really loaded Western Conference with this Lakers team. I think it gives a much better shot in the East, whether it's the Knicks, maybe the Heat get in there. A little little Heat culture back in LeBron. (laughs) Um, But the, the, the thing I... Part of the reason is it would just be so delicious to see LeBron own Boston one more time, <laughs> to go in there and rip their heart out <laughs> one more time. And a Knicks shirt. So that'd be pretty fun. I, I do. Uh, see, this is... And this also, to our conversation, changes a lot because Joel Embiid might not be in the postseason. We don't know.
0: Yeah, it does. This, um, This is where it gets hard to be a front office decision maker because it feels like an all-in splash move that does not like not that anything could guarantee you a championship but for the last I don't know how many years now the Knicks have been like a well-run kind of organization that seems to be building in a slow methodical in the right way attracted which I guess uh, Jalen Brunson was not like a top level uh free agent but he's turned out to be one now Mm -hmm. and they had the relationship there to help but like they seem like they're moving in a direction that and they have the assets to make some move. They're moving in direction that seems like a steady incline. Getting LeBron means you need to win the title this year or next, right? Yeah. And what you're gonna have to give up to get him means that you are mortgaging your future for a chance to win a title right now. Yeah, I mean that's
1: honestly, that's probably the smarter move to the neck for the Knicks. It's like he's 40 years old. Right. Damn near forty years old. Also, worth noting, you're talking about relationships and how the Knicks have taken on Tibbs and Jalen Brunson's image and how they're this rugged team with OG ended up. i going to talk relationships. Not the best relationship with LeBron and Leon Rose and, and oh, Wes yeah. at this point. Yeah, that's a fair point. I don't know if he'd be the happiest in that work environment. In an unhappy LeBron, no one is really happy.
0: Sounds fun for us. Yeah. I mean, more passive-aggressive LeBron or angry LeBron banging on the Celtics sounds like a lot of fun.
1: It's also just so funny. The Knicks have been like, you know, that friend who like can't get a date forever. And finally, it's like, got that significant other. We love that significant <laughs> other. And then someone walks to the doors, should we upgrade? <laughs> and yeah, now the time. It's
0: very true. I um, I'm looking forward as much as I've enjoyed this football season. I'm looking forward to having the bandwidth to dive back into basketball and get smart on all this stuff and talk about it with you as the season comes and be smarter than you in basketball. I don't feel like I am right now. It'll just take me a couple weeks. Yeah, that's probably true. Super Bowl! (laughs) Football, ah! All right. Thanks, Charlie. It's been great. Uh, Thanks, Potville, for letting us use this wonderful studio. And, of course, thank you to all the great producers. We'll go with Cortez first because I love him so much because he's a coward. Brian, Serafina, Kevin, and Megan. And we're out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.